Welcome to Movie Maker. I'm Tim Malloy, and today my guest is Sharon Rocky Roggio, the director, producer, and main character of a fascinating new documentary called 1946, The Mistranslation That Shifted Culture. It examines one of the most widely held ideas in our world, that the Bible is anti-gay. That idea, of course, has been used to justify all kinds of abuse and hatred towards LGBTQ people, from heterosexuals who are supposedly more moral than they are by virtue of our heterosexuality. But what if it's totally wrong? I know this sounds like dialogue from The Matrix, but please bear with me. We've all heard for so long that the Bible is anti-gay that most of us take it as a given, even if we think the Bible is wrong on that point. But what if, what if the Bible isn't anti-gay? The Bible wasn't originally written in English. Is it possible that something over thousands of years has been lost in translation? 1946 follows Christian Bible scholars who trace the origins of this widely held belief and really, really study the Bible to see if we're all just very confused. They dig into never before seen archives at Yale University to understand a popular and very influential 1946 translation that they believe is to blame for a great deal of the supposedly Bible-based homophobia in the world. Now, you may be going, Yale University? Who cares about Yale University? I care about what's in the Bible. And I'm going to ask you to think about how words get in the Bible. A group of guys get together and decide what words are going to go to the Bible. And 1946 explains who that group of guys was, how they made the decisions that they made, and possible mistakes that they made. One interesting argument in the film is that some of the phrases that have been translated to refer to homosexuality actually condemn sexual predators, not consenting adults. Now, of course, this is an interesting academic debate, but it isn't just an interesting academic debate. This is a debate that has torn families apart. It resonates across families divided by what they believe is God's will. These are life and death stakes for them. And Rocky herself has a lot of skin in the game because she's a lesbian whose own father, featured in the film, is a Christian pastor who hopes she will someday settle down with a nice Christian man. Despite their diametrical opposition on this, she and her dad love each other and are very invested in trying to understand and to change each other's hearts and minds. Does this sound like a compelling documentary? Because it is. It starts screening in New York, Los Angeles, and London in December, and it streams soon after. It might be a great conversation starter with some of the Christians in your life, or for anyone in your life. We start this talk with me asking Sharon Rocky Roggio if she prefers to be called Sharon or Rocky, which of course leads into a film that she made in Philadelphia a few years ago involving influencers. And of course, that naturally dovetails into a discussion about Corey Haim. But then, don't worry, I promise we get to all that clickbaity stuff about the Bible that everyone comes to this podcast for. Once again, this is Sharon Rocky Roggio. We're talking about the terrific documentary, 1946, The Mistranslation That Shifted Culture, coming to theaters soon and to streaming. My nickname is Rocky. Everybody pretty much calls me Rocky, but I wouldn't get offended if you called me Sharon, so... I love I love Rocky. I saw you did a movie with a part of the title was I the Tiger. So I was just curious about that. Um, the title was like, um, yeah, what was it called again? So it was I of the Tiger, Thrill of the Fight, 
It was one of the first movies that I worked on with actually the producer, Jenna Serbu, who is the producer on 1946 and the writer on 1946. She's also the writer of Eye of the Tiger, Thrill of the Fight, which is a spoof feature about reality television that we shot in the early 2000s that makes mockeries of many generations, including 80s pop stars who are now becoming the first reality type programming influencers prior to cell phone type stuff, you know, and, uh, and the MTV, you know, real house type vibe. So it's a spoof where these eight contestants have to live, which they don't realize until they get there homeless on the art museum steps in Philadelphia, downtown Philadelphia. And all they have is, you know, a little bit, a couple keepsakes they're allowed to keep a Porta John, which we find out is the confessional and then a street cart where they can get their food and, or maybe some medicinal supplies and uh, we later find out that the the man who is running this medicinal underground little food cart thing end up, ends up being Corey Haim. And he's there. Oh, cool. Yeah, trying to. It's not the real Corey Haim. We did try to get Corey Haim, but he declined. He also couldn't leave Canada at the time. Unfortunately, we know he has had some struggles and some sad things happen in his life. He got caught with some real drugs and mm. couldn't leave the country at the time. But... Regardless, we met Corey and he loved us. And <laughs> anyway, so yes, that's I the Tiger Thrill okay. Fight. Uh, very campy, very period, but also timeless, if you can imagine. So I had this narrative in my mind that you were a huge fan of Rocky, and that's how you ended up with Rocky. Is how did that happen? Is it just totally unrelated? Well, what happened was we, my family, are from Philadelphia. My father's from South Philly, South Philly Italian roots. And Rocky obviously has a big influence in the area. I also align it with male masculinity and macho type, you know, figures being in an Italian family. And the rumor has that my dad always wanted a son and he was going to name him Rocky. And I'm the closest to a boy he ever got being a lesbian woman. And so we've had some struggles through our relationship, as we learn in the film. And it, I adopted the nickname many years ago as kind of like a strength relation, but also a little bit of a of a tease to my father for the boy he never had and the strong daughter that he has. Uh, but yeah, so it's been it's been um it's been over a decade now, I guess, that the nickname has been full on stuck. But it's been around since I was a child. Okay, I grew up in Swarthmore, Pennsylvania, so just a warning to anyone listening to this that we are going to use the correct pronunciation of the word water, which is water, um, throughout. You've Good. got two area people, um, so we can we can be ourselves on here. I love um, it. So this leads directly into the film. Your father is a preacher. He has a very anti-homosexuality perspective, and you... And, and the other participants in this film set out to explain why that is not actually biblically correct. Yeah. So, you know, I grew up in the church and my father is a non-denominational minister, and I've always been trying to find common ground with my non-affirming parents. And my story is a little bit of not wanting anything to do with the church after not being in church for many years, revisiting church, realizing that 
inequalities that come from our church buildings that stem through scripture led me really on an exploration to challenge the church community that I was in, realizing the difference between welcome and welcoming and affirming, which one will let you serve and be in the building. The other will fully recognize you as being an equal participant. Uh, and so then getting vocal, which led me to learning of Kathy Boldock, who's the lead researcher in our film. And she is the one who discovered that the word homosexual was not entered into the Bible. It did not appear in the Bible until 1946. And she goes down this rabbit hole and does an exploration of the lens of human sexuality seen through multiple practices and, and um, academics, whether that's medicine, politics, religion, the Bible, psychology, biology, what's going on as our understandings are growing and how did we get here as society? So that would be one aspect as well. So she discovered the 1946. This is a big rabbit hole I know, which led to uh, me learning about the mistranslation and applying this, my practice of being a, a feature of a filmmaker working in the film industry and taking this story, propelling it to what I hope a global stage where people can see how the Bible has been mistranslated and how it can be weaponized against a group of people and what can we do to fix it. So that was kind of my catalyst, a little bit of the backstory into the projection of where we are now of the film being done. Um, and it's been quite a journey. Yeah. I mean, the framework before of our world was kind of, okay, Christianity is against this, I guess, but maybe there's, maybe that's a part of Christianity that we leave beside, or maybe God's overwhelming love. We're going to get a little religious here, I guess. Maybe God's love for us as people overrides his supposed hatred of the sin. And I'm not saying that's true. There were different ways that people would try to justify or try to reconcile being Christian and being in the church. And what this movie does is like a matrix level, pull out the rug on that way of thinking and says that maybe the church isn't anti-gay at all. I mean, it's this bad Greek translation from 1946. And the more detail you all get into, the more convincing it is. Thank um, you. You you really do a real scholarly analysis of it in a very impressive way. Thank you. You know, the LGBTQ community has been persecuted for millennia. This isn't new. And so what we see how groups who are different get othered. And we've seen the Bible be used against countless groups of minorities. For example, just to name a short few, left-handed people were persecuted because the devil sits on the left side and the gods on the right. And we learned later, well, guess what? They're born that way. Same with uh, Galileo, who had five clobber passages in the Bible telling us how the earth rotates or doesn't rotate around the sun. And, you know, his his findings contradicted the Bible and he ended up dying in prison. And so there are countless examples of how, as we know better and do better, as we learn more as humanity, how do we then look at biblical texts that might contradict and or doesn't seem to add up? In this case of our movie, it is a real mistranslation. And these words do not mean homosexuality, which has a connotation of it's a group of people as opposed to an act that has a victim on the other side, that has a consequence, that is negative, that is exploitative, that is sex for money, that is illicit. And so 
what we hope to do is show, as you were saying, an academic exploration, a journalistic, non-biased as much as we can perspective showing both sides and being very open about the scholarship and, and forthcoming in the sense where this is the best that we can do because our synecoitai is never really defined, but we know it's not homosexual, homosexual because. And hopefully people can start to break down these stereotypes that we've held it with us for all of our lives and our misunderstanding of who gay people are and do better. Now, one thing I will say as far as biblical interpretation is besides the fact that our movie does something different than other movies who, that try to deal with homophobia and the church, this is more than my feelings or opinions. This is about a real mistranslation. And we do try to get to how Bibles are translate translated and how we get them today. Uh, and so, you know, through looking at all of that, we can hopefully get to a bigger conversation of maybe we had it wrong. But then I'll also end this section with saying to that end, we wanted to make sure not to really pull the more out of our audience or our conservative audience that might feel, well, the Bible is infallible. How can this be? You know, we didn't really want to project a, a movie that sh that has anybody feel like they're going to lose their faith or their love for God or that, you know, they can't trust their Bible. We as society have determined what texts are useful to us and what texts are not. And as when we decide how we use these texts or misuse these texts, then we have a choice as a society to do better. And so, you know, an example is slavery. We negotiated away the idea that slavery is right, even though there are many verses in the Bible that support slavery. We decided as a group of people that we're not going to promote those verses and make them important in society because they do harm in society. So it's kind of the same idea. How do we renegotiate how the text is useful and purpose for us as a people? Hey everyone, it's Tim. I'm just interrupting here for a minute to bring you a host read ad. Attention screenwriters. So create screenwriting software is a game changer for your screenwriting process. It uses imagery to immerse you in your movie as you're writing it. You'll feel inspired, creative, and so motivated to write. And you'll write better. We can all use that superpower. And the best part, there's no fussing with formatting. So create transforms your story into an industry standard script in one click. It is incredibly easy to use. You can start writing your blockbuster in minutes. Podcast listeners, you can grab a year of So Create for just 99 bucks with code MMM Offer 2023. That's like Movie Maker Magazine Offer 2023. MMM Offer 2023. Visit So Create, S O C R E A T E, dot it to get your hands on the industry's secret weapon to award winning scripts. And now back to our interview. One of the things that I was most moved by about this documentary isn't even just the argument because to me i don't really care if the bible says homosexuals are bad that wouldn't make me like oh well i have to go condemn you know lgbtq people like i, I don't really care um what the book says because i just can't fathom of a god who cares like i, I can't fathom of a god who spends any amount of time worrying who sleeps with who that that doesn't seem to make any sense to me on a faith basis um, but 
what I found very moving about this film is that you have this remarkable patience and this remarkable love your enemies approach to the people you're disagreeing with, where you don't just say, you know what, you guys are idiots. We don't care what you think. You really spend a lot of time trying to persuade them and patiently trying to persuade them and hearing them out and listen to things that you strongly disagree with. And was that a sort of tactical approach? Like this is the best way to win people over? Or was it simply, look, this is my father. And in spite of our disagreements, I love him. He's one of these people. It was a little bit of both. I mean, it is part of my life and being patient with dealing with my non-affirming parents, which was part of the motivation to make the film. But to the same degree, I b do believe that our well, most of our oppressors are our loved ones. They are our parents or our teachers or our sisters, whoever it might be. And so we might have been hurt and maybe we still harbor some anger, but we're never going to reach each other if we're behaving in that way. And so I made a conscious decision to let go a lot of my anger, let go a lot of my hurt. I know that I can, as much as I can be in a safe space around my family and protect myself and my emotions, I wanted to be an influence and show who I really am. And so we wanted to make sure that the film amplified those tones of leading with empathy, leading with love, trying to listen to one another, really listening to my father, who's our, our our antagonist in the film, having an opportunity to listen to each other, and then giving the audience the information. And as Ed says in the film, allowing them to take it amongst themselves and deal with it how they may. You know, you deal with this as you may. Here's the information, you know, take it before the Lord and and you you struggle with it and you walk through this. You know, but then also to we end the movie saying a line along the lines of, you know, the Bible, what we've learned is, you know, it's not really full of mistakes. I mean, there's all this this misinformation or and, and misinterpretation, translation issues. But really, how are we dealing with treating one another? How are we making it useful to one another? So you actually had a really good point. Like, even if the Bible did say that, which it does say about slavery, it, it supports slavery. So even if the Bible did condemn homosexuality, what are we making useful for society? And how are how are homosexuals really hurting society? They're not, you know, so. Right. That's the. The end of everything. Who is this? Who is this hurting? And right. slavery clearly hurting. Um, yeah, I thought it was really remarkable the way that you handled it. And I also thought it was striking. A lot of times when people have these very emotional debates, it's in public and nobody can give any ground because they feel like somebody's going to call them out for giving ground, um, And whether it's a public debate or on Twitter or something like that. And movies are so personal. I mean, I feel like the ultimate way to watch this is almost by yourself or in a theater with no one talking where people can take a minute and process and listen um, in a way that we maybe can't do in social media spaces or certainly on a debate stage or something like that. How do you get this movie in front of the people who would most benefit from seeing it? Right now we're working on an impact campaign to make sure that it does get into areas that aren't big cities, into church communities that aren't big cities, into community centers outside of big cities. We are working on a global streaming opportunity as well, or at least obviously in North America. We had just released a couple months ago and we're on the film festival circuit right now. So we will make it available streaming at some point. Right now we're just working on 
continuing to win big film festivals. We've actually had some wonderful responses and played our international UK premiere at the British Film Institute in London and have won several awards, including three audience awards and, uh, well, best of film and two audience awards, which is just remarkable at major film festivals. And so um, it just takes a little bit of time, but it'll be available. And I'll say to that end, we're also working on a discussion book around the material. Kathy, who is our lead researcher in the film, is doing a book right now that's a full book with all of the citations, like a 500-page book that'll break down a lot of this research and information called Forging a Sacred Weapon, How the Bible Became Anti-Gay. That should be out later this year. But hopefully in the next couple of months, we will have done our discussion guide based around the film. So after you do see the film and you learn all this stuff, we can answer some additional questions that we didn't have time to answer in the film, like the biblical view of marriage, which there is no singular biblical view on marriage. So we help answer some of those questions and pull out some verses for people to look at and outside resources to consider as well to wrap our minds around this idea. And then the other thing we didn't have in the film, which we'd like to discuss is the evolution and the creation and evolution of the word sodomite. Where did that come from? What does it mean? How has it changed over time? And how does that connect with the LGBTQ community and does it? So we'll answer those questions. And then the rest of the resources will include other outside resources, hitting the clobber passages that we think are about same-sex relationships. They're not. They're about same-sex activity that, again, is harmful, not same-sex loving, committed relationships. Uh, anyway, you get the idea. So we're working on making the movie more accessible available, but then also continuing the conversation to really show that being LGBTQ is not a sin. Yeah. Have you had any contact with people whose minds were changed by watching this? Um, yes. Obviously, there's an ongoing discussion with your father. Yes. So, well, not so much people who have changed their minds from an evangelical side. There, there are people who are slowly moving from uh, questioning to affirming to, you know, you know, to, you know, maybe I should affirm this to maybe affirming, but the people who have been most affected that I hear from are people in the LGBTQ community who will say things like, I'm gay and I grew up in the church and I never once, even though I live as a gay person and feel I'm okay, I never once really just thought that being LGBTQ wasn't a sin. Now I actually can see it. Like it's transformative for them, you know? So I hear a lot of those kinds of stories of people just really feeling affirmed within themselves and letting go yeah. of that personal shame and that struggle. I want to hear more from the parents and from the faith leaders and other people who might be side X, which would be, you can't even call yourself gay and Christian. You can't be gay. You better go to conversion therapy, you know, <laughs> change your life and yeah. repent. Uh, I want to see how they've been moved and or maybe a light has switched for them. Uh, and I can't wait to hear some of those stories. They will be coming as soon as we continue to hit our goals for a wider distribution. Yeah. You know, what, this is almost like a footnote, um, but a lot of people who want to be supportive and maybe just feel like they can't keep up on the terminology. Um, this happens a lot with like heterosexual, I guess allies would be the best word. Um, I didn't know what the clobber passages were, and I think I understand what clobber passages are, but can you explain what that means and also what affirming means? Uh, you did before, but just to sort of spell it out a little bit more. Yeah, and that's a good point. We should probably put a page of those things in our discussion guide as well. 
Um, so the clobber passages are nicknamed verses that people use that are weaponized against another group of people. So Galileo mm -hmm. had five clobber passages that put him in jail. And we have about six per verses that the church uses to clobber LGBTQ people. Um, an mm -hmm. ally means that you are supportive of the LGBTQ community in all aspects that you support and their identity and you affirm their identity, which is where affirming would come from. You support them as an equal participant in faith and community and society, and they should have equal rights as a human being. Non-affirming then would be the opposite. They might, it's more of the non-affirming would be maybe love the sin or hate the sin. I'm, I love you, but I hate your sin, you know? And so there's some work that needs to be done there. Um, and then, yeah. Wonderful, wonderful distinction. Like, correct. I really like that. Yeah. Very well said. Thank you. And then the side X, uh, as I was saying, would be somebody who believes that you can't even call yourself gay and Christian, or you can't even really be gay in general. They would want to change the society. It's against God's will. Homosexuality is wrong, bad, evil, demonic, all of those things. Side Y, I think, is somewhere in between where it's like you are understanding that people are born gay but you can't really act on it but you still probably should try to be in a mixed orientation marriage where you're with someone of the opposite sex and you're trying to live that life there's a fine line between side b and side y i i don't really know the full definition of why i got to work on that one but b is you will be, remain celibate and or you do try mm. to get into a relationship with someone of the opposite sex because there's this idea that what you need to follow the biblical view of marriage. They still align themselves with this one man, one woman doctrine and, or you need to remain celibate, but I'm born gay and that's unfortunate. And, you know, so yeah. That's, that's, yeah. And then side a uh, would be, you're fully affirming. You can be LGBTQ and Christian. You can be LGBTQ and not Christian. You can live your life as a gay or trans person and be fully affirmed in society. But when you're talking about the church specifically with this XYBA, you're fully affirmed in a church community as an equal participant without question. So. Wow. Yeah. Have you, do you feel that there's been progress among evangel evangelicals um, in recent years? And I ask that because one of the most interesting things that this documentary points out is that the real homophobia started ramping up. And as you noted, there's been homophobia for, centuries but um that it really started being wrapped up and used as a political tool and as a way of scapegoating people and to score votes frankly um in the 70s like sort of as a backlash against various rights movements um ha have things changed at all and another thought i just want to get out there is would you agree that cultures become more tolerant over time I think cultures do come become more tolerant over time. I think what we're seeing right now is our culture was at, and should be rightly so becoming more tolerant and, and accepting of different people. And then what we did see in the 80s with the Falwell administration merging with the, the moral majority and the moral majority merging with Ronald Reagan gay people becoming politicized as the issue of we need to protect the families. We need to protect women. We need to protect all of, all of us who look like us and not these people who are now coming out of the closet. 
And once the yeah. APA declassified homosexuality from a, being a mental illness and deemed gay people sane and healthy in society, that's where we see a major pushback from the church in history of now this is a moral issue where it wasn't before, it was a medical issue. And mm -hmm. now the church has to deal with it. And so it was that perfect timing of merger of, of gay people to become politicized. And uh, we had in our Bibles in black and white, see, it's the homosexuals. They're the ones to blame. So they had the weapon to use against us. Now, I think yeah. since that mistranslation and now even prior to our movie in 1946, there has been other voices working to break down this misinformation about being gay is a sin. And there's some wonderful work around it. And we've seen churches all across the world really become affirming, which means obviously they accept gay people to be full participants. And there have been splits of churches. There have been splits of denominations. And we see a great divide. So I think within our progress, we're now seeing a harsher pushback from the conservative communities that is leading us to a dangerous relationship like we're all about to bust and so i am seeing a, a, some wonderful work in the affirming space of people really understanding that this is a social justice issue and why we need to act on it but then a pushback from the other side trying to get us to really a christian nation that is a theocracy and pushing us into a place where a theocracy. I mean, we just see it. So I think that it, it's becoming, it's a, it's a, it's encouraging, but it's also dangerous. So I, we need more people to stand up as allies, more people to see this movie, more churches to become affirming. You know, it's it's not the answer is not less religion. The answer is more affirming religion. More people who see that Christianity is a social justice movement, mm -hmm. not a movement to start eliminating everyone's rights who don't look or think like you because the gay community is not going to be the single target or just, you know, now the trans community, they keep moving the mark is the bigger target. And right. so then it'll be other religions and, you know, the list will go on. So, and again, our loved ones are wrapped up in this there. And, you know, some people don't even realize the dangers of it. And it's a lot of this has to do with social media and misinformation and some of uh, the ways that we're being divided. So hopefully yeah. something like our movie can help unite us all. You know, a few episodes ago, we talked to someone named Russell Berry, um, who had a documentary that reminds me a little bit of, of your, reminds me a little bit of 1946 called Juneteenth Faith and Freedom. Um, that was about black churches and how they worked to undo Jim Crow, any, any number of atrocious, you know, parts of American history that continue. Um, and it took a similar approach of being very matter of fact and not argumentative. Like it wasn't trying to like score points and mic drop and dunk on the opponents. It was just laying out facts that were indisputable and, like yours, very scholarly, very patient. Um, and I just wonder if that's the approach that is more likely to work. Like does the, do the people who, do people on the right, for lack of a better word, people on the fundamentalist right seem to respond to that better than they respond to um, 
you guys are fools? Or are they so entrenched in their ways that they don't care whether you're nice to them or not? Well, we've already had major pushback even before the movie has been released. So the people who don't want to listen to us already are calling us all sorts of names and debunking our movie. I mean, we've had hundreds of radio shows, podcasts, YouTube videos, sermons, news articles. We had someone write a book about our movie, debunking our movie, you know, so we'd love for them to watch the film and actually then maybe do a critique on it instead of prior to watching the film. And then whatever they, they think of the film, that's their opinion. Our goal is to have everyone watch the film, but we know that there are people sitting in those church buildings, listening to those radio shows who we call the movable middle, who in their heart might feel that there's something off about this, or maybe they're torn one way or the other, and we hope that they move with us. And so hopefully there's enough people in that movement that they don't go to the other, they don't go to the right extreme that's going to cause more harm to our society. They lean more toward being loving, inclusive, and looking at, again, how Bible translations are made, how we interpret the Bible, and how we use the Bible, and how that use becomes put out into society, how dangerous it can be, but also how wonderful it can be. So yeah, we're working on that movable middle. Yeah, and I hope if any of them happen to hear this, um, that it's just coming through loud and clear. You don't hate them. You're not trying to show, you know, I'm smarter than you, ha, 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 or whatever. I mean, you want to be, you'd like to reach understanding with them. I would love to reach understanding. I would love to validate people. I would love peace on earth. We all want peace on earth. We'd love safety for all of our citizens and all people around the world. We just want to live and let live, but also do what's morally right. You know, we're not out to be uh, causing harm in society. So, yeah, we need to have a serious conversation together. And we love we already know we have a seat at the table. And so hopefully we can all sit down together and, and discuss this. Yeah.